Our scripture today comes from John chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you would think that after a lifetime of seeing it, I would have noticed it. But I got to be honest with you, I, I lived a long time before I saw it. Although I had been around the FedEx logo my entire life, I was strangely oblivious to what many people and designers consider to be the central aspect of this design. When I looked at the FedEx logo, either on a truck or on a package, I saw the, the vibrant colors, I saw the bold lettering, but not much else. But embedded in this logo is something so unique that the FedEx logo has been named as one of the eighth best logos of all time. Now, we see logos all the time. One of the eighth best of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. Now, who of those in the room, by a show of hands, I know it's early and we don't like pointing ourselves out, but, you know, work with me here. How many of you, by a show of hands, knows what's unique about this logo? Let me see your hands. Don't say it. Okay, you read my book. Okay, awesome, great. <clears throat> How many of you have no idea what we're talking about? Okay, you're my people. You, you are my people, all right? But, uh, let me give you a hint, okay? It's located between the E and the lowercase x. Between the E and the lowercase x. How many, and please be honest, how many of you still have no clue? Hand in the back. Thank you. You're my people, brother. All right, me and you. What's your name? Who? Gabe. Gabe. Gabe? Gabe. All right, Gabe. Zoom in here. Oh, there it is. <laughs> no, seriously, right? What a weird phenomenon. I don't know how many of you have, have been around this logo like I have or was oblivious to it, but I got to be honest with you. When I first was introduced to the white arrow, I was shocked and embarrassed and a little bit humiliated that I had never noticed this thing before in my life. But now that I've seen it, as you have, it's the first thing I see when I see the logo. I see a truck going by, there it is, there's a white arrow. Package goes by, you know, here there, white arrow. In a similar way, after being a Christian for decades and being around the church for a long time and hearing so many messages on what salvation is and what the gospel is, you would think that I would have put two and two together. But I got to be honest with you, I, I had no idea there was anything more to the gospel or the Christian message than its vibrant realities. And they are vibrant, right? Forgiveness of sins, salvation by faith through grace, have a relationship with Jesus, get to go to heaven one day, all vibrant realities. But I was oblivious to what many people throughout the centuries have considered to be the central aspect of the gospel. 
That truth about the gospel that's so vital and so central and so important that if you don't see this thing, you're not seeing clearly. You're not even seeing the beauty of what the gospel really is. And some would argue you may not even really understand what the gospel is. How many know what I'm talking about? Don't say it. But let me give you a hint for those of you like me who are clueless. You see glimpses of it between Genesis and Malachi, but it particularly stands out in the writings of the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, which we'll be looking at, and also the writings of the Apostle Paul. This thing, this central aspect of the Gospel, is illustrated throughout the Bible as the relationship food and water has with the body, a building like this one has with its foundation, A vine has with its branches and a husband has with his wife or a wife has with her husband. Let's zero in on it. It was in the verse that was beautifully read earlier. John 14. Here it is. It's plain as day. Now we'll put it now. We'll point it out together. We'll get there together. I promise you. Here it is. It's in here. Jesus says this to his disciples. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. For in that day you will know that I am, what? In my Father, you in me and I in you. Did you see it? Yes, it involves the word in. Now, some way say, well, let, me say let me say let me say I say it this way: if, if if two people are in one another, we say those two people are in blank with each other, right? I mean, some may say relationship, but that's not close enough, right? To be you uh, 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 harmony, harmony maybe. What would you say? Huh? Love. What else? Huh? Union. Oh, there's a word we don't use in relation to God, right? Union? Oneness? I, I, I'll be honest, when someone pointed this out to me, I, I, I didn't quite know what, what to think. But embedded in Jesus' words lies the fiery promise that Brennan Manning put his finger on when he once wrote this, that the living God seeks more than an intimate relationship with us. Stop there. What? The living God seeks more than an intimate relationship with me? He goes on to say that the reckless, in in, in Brennan's colorful language, the reckless raging fury of Yahweh culminates, dare we say it? In a symbiotic fusion, a union so substantive that the Apostle Paul would dare write, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I'm going to be in you, you're in me, we're going to be in the Father. In this oneness, union. John Murray, longstanding professor of systematic theology at Westminster Theological Seminary, contends this, that nothing is more central or basic than union, there it is again, union and communion with Christ. 
union with Christ really is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Now, I was raised in East Tennessee, Kingsport, Tennessee, John City, Bristol, Tri-Cities. Now, growing up in the church, I would have never dared to say or claim that I was one with God. It just never would have come out of my mouth, right? Or I'm in union with Jesus. I never would have thought to have used such intimate, close language. The the gospel as it was presented to me was entering into a, what? Give it to me. Relationship with Jesus, right? That's the first step of the Christian faith. And that's true, okay? But we're going to help you see what type of relationship you have in a minute. So you begin a relationship with Jesus. You pray a prayer, something like, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Amen. Thank you for saving me. Okay. You, you get it. You, you start a relationship with Jesus. And then what was then communicated to me in the discipleship process was, well, the goal, Dave, is because you're over here and Jesus is out there somewhere. And the goal is to get closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus over time. And that comes with effort, right? So if you do the things you should, like read the Bible, pray, go to Grace Community on a Sunday morning, right? Or you don't do the things you should, like drink, smoke, chew, and hang out with girls who do. If, if you do the things you should and not, and not do the things you shouldn't, then over time you can come into a closer proximity to the person of Jesus Christ. And you can be close and have a close relationship with him. But for me, how that worked out with me was this. When I did the things I, I should do, like reading the Bible and praying, and I felt like I was close to Jesus, right? But that wasn't the case most of the time. I was struggling with sin, right? I mean, anybody else in the room? <laughs> struggling with, with believing and not doubting, struggling with doing the things I read in the Gospels and, and applying that to my life and living in those reality. I mean, I struggled with this. I struggled with my consistency. I struggled with my apathy. There were some days and weeks and months I didn't want to read the Bible. Some weeks and days and months, years, I didn't feel like praying. But I was told that those were the ways and the avenues in which I would become closer to Jesus. So guess what happened to little Dave Hickman? I grew up thinking I was always far from Jesus. I was kind of an orphan. Kind of looking in to this love that I heard Jesus talk about in the Gospels. Yes, I had prayed the prayer and I would received Jesus and I had done everything that I knew to do. Okay? As many of you have. But man, I, I carried such a sense of guilt and self-condemnation and self-hatred because I couldn't do the things that I should do to get close to Jesus. So I just walked around, as Henry David Thoreau once said, that in a sense of quiet desperation. I really came to the conclusion that I was going to be a joyless, guilt-ridden Christian my entire life. That's just going to be my lot. I'll take it. I'll one day die, be freed of all that, and go to heaven. And, you know, hopefully that, you know, that day is going to come whenever it comes. And then I'll be freed of this. And then at that point, I'll be able to enjoy Jesus. But that's never going to happen this side of eternity. That, that was where I concluded. 
I never thought that anything else would come of my relationship with Jesus. And really, neither did the disciples. If you turn with me to the Gospel of John, we're going to look at what union with Christ is and what it isn't. Because if you're like me, you're probably asking a lot of good, intelligent questions. You're jumping ahead of me. You're saying things like, well, Dave, you're, you, that, that's, to talk, that one with God, man, that sounds pretty new agey. That sounds pretty, pretty Eastern. I know Jerry's pretty Orthodox in, in his theology and evangelical. And is this even in the, in the Bible? We're, we're going to look and see that it is. That it really is a central aspect of, of, of the gospel. And that the big idea today, and here it is, I'll just give it to you. Salvation isn't something, it's someone. Say that with me. Salvation isn't something, it's someone. Say it again. Salvation isn't something, it's someone. Okay, who is this someone? John 3, 16. All right? Say it with me. For God so loved the world, come on folks, that he, his only begotten son. Stop. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten. Now, some will translate that as one and only or his only and begotten. So Jesus, according to John 3.16, which we all learn, he's the one true son of the father. He's the only one. Not Jerry Lewis, not me. Not Paul Mackey, not Steve Wilkerson, not Jeremy Staten. None of us existed with God in the beginning, right? I wasn't there. I haven't been with the Father from eternity past. That's not me. That's Jesus. So in John three sixteen, we learn that Jesus is the only son of the Father. Now, going back, if you look at John 1, 1, we, we also know this one, right? In the beginning was the Word... And the word we know to be who? Yeah, Jesus. Or God. Who is God? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. So two things you have to know fundamentally to get what I'm talking about is this. And simple, simple, simple. Jesus was God and is God. And Jesus is God's son. Okay, we got that? Jesus is God and Jesus is God's son only son only son now salvation isn't something salvation is someone right and so the disciples heard jesus talking over and over not just that he was god if you read through the rest of the gospel of john but more precisely and almost heretically that jesus claimed to be god's son In John, we read Jesus praying to the Father, doing the works of his Father, claiming to be so close to the Father that they were not two but one. And he even said, we're we're in such union together. We're so close that when you see me, you see who? The Father. Now think about the disciples. They must have felt like, I mean, these guys had, had moms, These guys had dads. They weren't orphans. So what was Jesus talking about when he called them orphans? They were orphaned to the eternal love that's always existed between the father and the son. (laughs) Duh. 
They were orphans to that. That was not theirs by nature. Jesus, by his nature, enjoyed that familial bond between his father and himself and also the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus's. No one in the Gospels, not one other than Jesus, knew that love. Everyone else was outsiders, even the disciples. Zacchaeus, the woman caught in adultery, all orphans to that love by nature. Wasn't theirs. Not in it. Don't have it. Now, here's the question we wrestle with. Would God be so gracious to let you and you and you and you and all of us in this room share in the very same love that the Father and the Son's always had? Oh, well, Speaker Dave, I don't even know if I'm going to call you a pastor at this point. You know, I mean, that's a little too close. That's, that's only for God and Jesus. I mean, that, that's a divine love. We're, we're human. We're sinful. We're, we're broken. No, 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 no. I mean, that, that crosses that creator-creature distinction thing that, you know, no, 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 no. Can't, can't go there. Too, too close. Well, you know what? The, the Pharisees thought the same thing. When Jesus claimed to be God's son and sharing in the love between the father and the son, and he claimed to be this beloved son, sharing in this intimate relationship with the omnipotent God who, whom the, the, the Jewish people of that time would not even, and even today, won't even speak his name, won't even write it in the, down in the sand or on a piece of paper, won't even like, utter the consonants. And you're claiming to be his son and know him? And have a relationship, and not just a relationship, but be one with him. They picked up stones to kill him all the more, according to John 5. Deader than the dead. <laughs> We're coming to get you, boy. You're off in heresy. You're claiming to be one with God, and no one can get that close. So the disciples had heard this and they'd seen the the persecution that Jesus was receiving by claiming to to be so close to the Father. And I imagine that even if Jesus told the disciples, guys, look, I want to invite you into this. They'd have been like, oh, no, what time time is it? You know, uh, Bartholomew, let's go, let's go for our run. You know, I mean, it's, we don't want it because we're going to suffer the same fate as you. I imagine they would respectfully decline even if Jesus said, hey guys, I want to bring you into this. But that's exactly what he does. John 13, two points. We're going to look at an impossible command and an inconceivable promise. Now, Jesus gives his disciples an impossible demand, an impossible command to force them to go, okay, union with you is the only way I can get out of this. All right. So he forces them logically into understanding salvation isn't something, it's someone. And here's what Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, did you know you have a new command of Jesus? We think of the greatest command, like, you know, love your God with all your heart, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know that Jesus gives you a new command? New means new. The other one doesn't pass away, but this one just amplifies it. And here it is. 
think about this. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By all this, by, by this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What type love did Jesus tell the disciples to have for one another? The, the way that he loved them. Well, how, okay, how did Jesus love them? John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus loved the disciples with the very same love that the Father and the Son have always shared. He he didn't hold anything back. Can you imagine? I mean, when I think of God's love and the Son loving the Father and the Spirit loving the Father and, the, and all, I think, wow, that's out there somewhere. But it becomes flesh. And we see this love. And we receive this love. And Jesus says, guys, look, here's a new command for you. Love each other like that. Uh can't do that. Uh, that's a divine love, number one. And okay, that's out there, number two, somewhere. Um, I don't really like Matthew, uh, number three. You know, Peter's a loud mouth, and, you know, I'd rather, you know, stay away. It, these guys, if some miraculous thing didn't happen, they would spend the rest of their lives striving and clawing and scrapping and st- trying to do the very last thing Jesus told them, commanded them to do. It's impossible. That's why John 14 begins, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's John 13. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled, guys. You will do this. So he, he gives them this impossible command to wake them up to like, wow, there is no, there is no other way for us to f- fulfill that command outside of some, something miraculous but real happens in which we somehow know that love between the Father and the Son. Not just know it, but experientially know it. So Jesus says, well, that's going to happen. Next chapter, John 14. John 14, 15 through 17. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another what? To be with you forever, even who is it? Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you now and will be where? In you. For in that day you will know, experientially know, that I am in my Father You in me, and I in you. You'll know it. You'll know it. Why? Because you'll experience it. The Spirit's going to come. 
And from eternity past, the Father has always loved the Son and the Spirit as well as the person, the three, the holy three, loving one another in this fury of love. And the Spirit oftentimes in, 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 in theology will be understood as, as the breath, not to depersonalize, but, but, but the breath that, that binds the Father and the Son together. So, the question... If Jesus in himself is salvation, and there is no salvation outside of him, it's in him. That's why Paul will say 164 times salvation's in Christ. He's not saying because of Christ or on account of Christ or just because of his works. It's in him. It's his person. Everything that makes him him, it's in him, in there. How do you get in there? (laughs) That's impossible, right? No, it's not impossible. Remember what the angel told Mary? Do we believe this still? That with God, all things are possible? So he's saying, look, the Spirit of God is going to come and unite himself to you and you to him in such a way that, yes, I have risen, I will rise from the dead. I will have flesh that I will invite Thomas to touch. I will have working organs that will digest fish after I come back from the dead. To let you know that I have conquered death, hell, and the grave, and when and you will as well, and we're not going to dissipate or just become spirits, but we're going to come out of the grave in flesh. That is the hope of the resurrection. And I'm a person, and me, I am salvation. And to have what I have and get what belongs to me, I'm not just going to throw it to you as a thing. Hey, don't 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 lose it. Don't lose salvation. No, I'm gonna. I'm going to pull you into me. So everything that I am, you are. Everything that I have, you have. There is no salvation outside of or apart from Jesus. It's impossible. It's not a thing. (laughs) It's a person. And so Jesus, for all of us here, He opens up a whole new paradigm of closeness because while he was walking on the earth, he had a close relationship with his disciples, but he's saying there's going to come a day guys. When I'm going to obliterate close, I mean, I'm going to be in you and you're going to be in me. And that's all going to be because of the Holy spirit. And this is key. If you can memorize this, memorize this. John Calvin once said that, The Holy Spirit truly unites things separated by distance. Isn't that great? That the Holy Spirit truly unites things separated by distance. What's he talking about? Jesus is somewhere right now. Amen. We believe and we proclaim in our historical understanding of the faith. And even now that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Yes. In the flesh. Yes. Yes, he's somewhere. And in him is salvation. But the Holy Spirit, even though we're separated from the one true incarnate Christ, him, the Holy Spirit truly unites us to him in such a way that it's mysterious, but it's real. And what God joins together, let no man separate. How many of you guys are married in the room? Let me see your hands. When I asked my wife, Monica, to marry me back in... 2001, I, uh, 
over at the chapel of the prodigal at Montreal. I did not get down on one knee and say, Monica, would you have a healthy and grown relationship with me for the rest of your life? That, you'll, that, that, that we'll just maintain over the years. No, she'd be married to somebody else. Right? I'd be single. I said, no, 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 I paraphrase. Monica, would you throw your life away to such a degree that you would risk it all to let me love you in a way that, man, I'm telling you, nobody else has ever loved you and no one ever will love you. I want to throw my life away. I'm crazy about you and I, I want to be one with you. I want to be united to you in marriage. Would you do that? That's a scary proposal. But that's the gospel. Not will you be close to me. Or not will you just maintain a, a healthy relationship. But will you lose your life to such a degree. And you'll trust me. Trust me, trust me. And that as the creator of the universe, I'm going to enter in. And we're going to be one. And what God joins together, let no man separate. You won't be able to lose me from that point on. But look, your life's going to change. Do you want that? That's the gospel. That's that's the only gospel. That's plan A. There is no plan B. It's Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. I mean, it's, I don't know how else to say it. Salvation is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. You got to be in it to get what belongs to him. That's it. So he gives the disciples this impossible command to lead them against all hope to believe in this inconceivable promise that one day that's going to happen. And guess what? It did happen. Acts 2, Spirit comes, unites us to Jesus, all those who believe. And guess what? If you've ever said yes to Jesus and you did that to the best of your ability, I'm not saying, did you really mean it today? Look. If you did it to the best of your ability and you said that as much as you know about yourself to as much as you know of God, yes, it's an ongoing revelation. So consider that this moment, one of those, and you said, yes, can I tell you what you have? Can I tell you who you are? You're one with Christ. You're united to him. You're already as close to Jesus right now as you'll ever get right now. How would your life change if you believe that? (laughs) How would your life change? How would it change if you really believe right now that you're as close to Jesus as you possibly get? Now, one day you'll see him face to face. Yes. But on that day, he'll say, I know you. (laughs) Oh man. Let me illustrate it this way. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. There's the Father, right? Here's Jesus, the Son. I'm in my Father. You're in me. And I'm in you, Father, Son, Spirit. All right? Got that? This is what we're talking about. Union. Not perfect. It's even more close and intimate than you can even imagine. All right? This is not a perfect one, but it's going to get you there. So, Father, Son, Spirit's in us. We're in the Son, the Son's in the Father. Now, let's say Satan wants to come after you, wants to get you, wants to try to destroy your family, your faith, your understanding of yourself, your confidence. He wants, under, he, he wants to put faults of 
suicide and self-hatred and self-condemnation and guilt, all of these homes that we make for ourselves that we so quickly run to, he wants to point you that direction. Well, first, he's got to get through the Father. Now, how many things that's going to happen? Okay, let's say it does. Well, now he's got to get through the Son. Where are you? You're in the Son and the Father still, but just for... Well, here you are. And let's say he beats you up and cuts you open. And he just flays you out in life. Well, he's going to find this. Father, Son, Spirit. Right? You tell him to go to hell. I'm sorry. I mean... Right? (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit are in me. I'm in Jesus and I'm in the Father. We are one. Good luck. Good luck. Man, I remember when my first son Ryan was born, and I'll end with this. I've got Tourette syndrome, and I, you know, I can suppress it in moments like this, but it comes out on occasion. Um, I, I don't cuss unless it's on purpose, so don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> Paul Mackey, my friend, uh, who's here behind Jerry, he, uh, he's the same way. So Paul, Paul won't cuss unless it's on purpose. Um, man, when Ryan was born, um, you know, I've, I've got all these sensory, tactile, and Tourette syndrome, for those of you who don't know, it's a neurological disorder that causes a person to tick. Kicks can be motor, vocal, et cetera. And it makes, makes us very uh, uh, tactile. And, you know, we love tastes and smells and different things. And so when Ryan, my first son, was born, he's now nine, but nine years ago, I remember looking at him, you know, fresh out of the oven and going, man, I want to I wanna eat him up, was my thought. Have you ever said that? Have you used that phrase? I want to eat you. You know, I was looking at uh, Steve Wilkerson's baby here. Uh, Steve, where are you? Steve? Steve Wilkerson. Steve, where are you, Steve? Well, he was here somewhere, maybe early service. But I told Steve, I said, man, look at that little baby. I want to eat his foot. I just want to put it in my tummy, right? I think that's God's image in us. Where's that come? That's a strange phrase, right? I want to eat you? Really? Dude, who, where are you from? Yeah, you from Curtis Creek? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry. I want to eat you. I think that's God's. I want. I want you in me, man. I, I, was, I was overcome with this fury of love with this little ball of flesh, chalky, little booger, puffy eyes, candy red lips, arms outstretched to the world, wide open mouth. And I'm thinking, you frail little legs. I'm like, man, oh man. How can I get you in me? And the only thing I could figure was, well, I'll just, and then it hit me. I went over, grabbed him, and I put my nose in his mouth. And then we're talking, this is right after the whole deal went down. I mean, he's moments out, sucking goo out of his nose, steam's coming off of him, his breath smells terrible. Stuck my, and I breathe in. His little warm, stinky breath that generated came from within him. And it went into me, and I held it. And then I breathed our breath, our breath, our shared breath, back into his wide open mouth. And we just did that for about a minute. 
while the whole room looked upon with wonder of the love between a father and his son. And I've never heard a voice. All right, I know that sounds spooky and irrational, and sometimes it is. But that day I heard a voice as clear as day. I'll never forget it. It was, like, it was so gentle. It was like a warm, it was like a thin curtain flapping lazily in a summer breeze. It was just, and the voice said, uh, that's it, David. You've got it. That's it, David. You've got it. Little Dave striving all of his life to get close to Jesus. Boy, here's a picture, David. Here's a picture of what you already have. That's it. I'm in you and you're in me. You just tapped into my heart. Welcome. But that's a fragment. That's a sand on the beach of God's love. His love is incomprehensible. It's eternal. It's always existed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But God is so gracious, and listen to me this morning. He is this gracious where he says, I don't want to keep that to myself. I want to pull you individually, you. What makes you, you? I want you to come join me in this. And share in the very same love that's eternally existed between the Father and the Son. That's the only gospel. Oh, that's too close, David. You better watch it, boy. Uh-uh. Do you take it up with Jesus? Take it up with all the, all the early theologians and the reformers. I'm sorry. Salva- take it up with Paul. He says it's in him. Salvation is in Christ. Jesus says you've got to be joined to me. He even prays in John 17 that we'd be one with him. All right, just... This is the gospel. So... If you've crossed that line and you've said the best way you know how, yes to Jesus. I want you to know, this is what he says to you. You want to be one with me? You are one with me. That's it. You already got it. I already have it. I just want to awaken you to that reality. Would you have the faith to believe that? That I'm that gracious and that you're that important to me. You already got it.